Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Hey, welcome to Healing With Worth. I'm your host, Chair Lynn. I'm excited to be talking to Alana and Kim today. I really gained a lot of insight from listening to their expert knowledge about from abuse from the miniseries. So welcome, Kim, Kim and Alana. Today on the show, we're going to be diving deeper into abusive relationships. All of our relationship interactions exist on a spectrum from healthy to abusive with healthy somewhere in the middle. Abuse can occur in many areas. Some that we might, some that we might talk about today are spirituality, our finances, physical, emotional, psychological. And today we're going to kind of be talking about what it looks like and feels like when it's right, what it looks like and feels like when it's off, and what it looks like and feels like when it's abuse. So which topic would you like to start with today? Uh, well, let's just jump right in and talk a little bit about the spiritual aspect of things. Um, there are a lot of things that we could talk about, but for me, uh, one of the foundations is, is if you feel like your spiritual and religious convictions are respected and honored, and they're allowed to uplift, inspire, encourage, and empower you as an individual. Uh, they, are, they should not be used against you to control you, to demean you, to shame you, or to belittle you. Um, when they are used to either, uh, when your partner is using beliefs, doctrine, spiritual arguments to coerce, to manipulate, or in, a, in an attempt to control you, that is a form of spiritual abuse. When they're using beliefs, doctrines, or spiritual arguments to demean or belittle you, that's spiritual abuse. Um, or when they're restricting your ability to practice spiritual activities, attend church, or other religious services, um, that is abusive. Alana, do you want to add anything about that spiritual dimension that you see as either being this is how it should look or these are things that we see that that are cause for, for concern? You know, as I listen to you give these different examples, the thought that went through my head is I can see how this can be really confusing to somebody of questioning, is this spiritual abuse or is this them just having an opinion? And so the thing that goes through my head is I think that we really have to make it a little more um, concrete because it can feel very abstract. And especially when it's us ourselves in the moment that so often we'll go like, am I crazy? I mean, is this okay behavior? Is this normal? Like, I know I don't like it, but am I being too sensitive? Am I being too... Um, Am I overthinking this? And we tend to really question ourselves. So I think it's really important to slow down and kind of take it from more of this abstract up in our brain and get it a little more concrete to what is actually happening here. And so I like that you gave these different areas of like, if they are preventing me from 
expressing my religion or living my religion in a certain way that that is controlling and that control definitely can be abusive. And so what does that actually look like? And that's, that's what I would love if we could talk about is maybe some concrete examples of what it actually looks like in somebody's day-to-day life. And I'm happy to do that. Actually, this is this. I, I, I love that you brought this up because this is what I've been working on an assessment to try to identify um, specific, uh, even drilled down further than what I just expressed, specific experiences um, that women can just say, yes, this happens, yes, or no, this doesn't happen, or how extreme. And so I'll read just a few of those uh, to kind of give that flavor. And my hope is that this assessment with all of these different categories, I'm hoping to make it available here. I don't know. I don't. I, I hate to give an exact timeline, but hopefully within the next few months. So, um, so when your partner is using what he knows that you hold sacred in order to try to uh, get you to do what he wants, when when you feel like your partner twists doctrine or religious ideas or ideals to try to manipulate you. Uh, when Let, Let's talk about that one really quick. Yeah. Because that, with that one that goes through my head is um, we hear a lot in, this, in church of this concept of be one, be one. We're supposed to be one with our spouse. And that is one that I often see that does get twisted and manipulated is where if a woman is trained or a man is trying to pull themselves away from an unhealthy dynamic or something that they don't feel comfortable with and they get this pressure or words around, well, we're supposed to be one, we're supposed to be connected, we're supposed to be in this together. And so they they take those words that while, yes, the scriptures do say be one, but they use it in a way that gets what they want and controls the other person's actions. And that is when it crosses the line. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I love that you brought that specific example. And the other, um, I, I find the same thing with forgiveness or with boundary setting. You have to forgive me. You have to, yes. uh, you can't set you can't set that boundary. You can't push me away. You can't do that type of thing. And that's actually one of the others is uh, when um, you are trying to set boundaries to protect yourself from further harm and you're getting that resistance from a spiritual argument. You can't do this because attached to whatever doctrine um, I see also, and I, I mean, I could have a, we could have a debate on whether or not this is spiritual abuse or this is a misunderstanding of doctrine, but the idea of um, you can't give up on me or you can't because the atonement, the atonement is real. The atonement can fix this. Um, you need to, <laughs> you need to stick with me while I figure it out because, yeah, because uh, Christ can save me or Christ has saved me or um, that type of, again, using what is dear and tender and our, our core beliefs, a strength would really ladies and this, it really is our strength, our faith, but using it in a way 
to coerce you into something that maybe your gut says, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. That doesn't feel right. I'm feeling coerced. I'm feeling pressured. I'm feeling like um, I'm feeling compelled into, I'm feeling stuck because of my faith, because of my beliefs. It's keeping me in this, I'm pigeonholed in that because of these things that that are sacred, but they're being misused. These ideas that are um, being used to control and doctrine, our, our faith should never be used to control and to manipulate. Are there any other, I'm thinking, what other ones come to mind, specific ideas or concepts that you hear maybe repeatedly um, that are used to, to control? Well, can I interject? One thought I was thinking is um, in our, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, sometimes we hear that the men have the priesthood. And so oftentimes uh, they can use that to um, make it not equal, you know, that somehow they have the, the God-given right to um, make the decisions for the family because of that that leadership role. And, and I think that's kind of a, you know, they, they do hold the priesthood, but we should be included in the decisions. Yes. And I think if it goes too far, you know, that, you know, well, you have to listen to me because I'm the priesthood holder. That's, I think, in my opinion, would be a spiritual abuse. Absolutely. Something. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is a very real one. That idea of I'm the head, I'm the, I'm in charge. Um, and it plays in a lot into that control and dominance um, and that even that attitude. And it may be that they really believe that. Uh, but it is absolutely, I agree, Sherlyn, it is abuse. To, um, and I think the scriptures are pretty clear about when, uh, and maybe you can correct me on the exact wording, but when that is, when that, that type of control is used, that is unrighteous dominion and amen to the power and authority of that man. And I think we as women need to be reminded of that. Um, it, the way that God designed for leadership should be one of gentleness and always a, un, a unity and common consent and um, uh, unanimous decisions being made together. Um, because there is no, I, there is no trump card. The priesthood is not a trump card. It does not say that my my opinion holds more weight than yours because. And anytime you see that type of dynamic, you know that's the that's the huge red flag that that is wrong. That he is that the way that he is pursuing that agenda is inappropriate. It is. Uh, um, what was the word that I just used? The. Um, Unrighteous dominion. Unrighteous dominion. Thank you, Sherilyn. Yes. Well, another one that's kind of in the, the gray for me was, that might be confusing, was when my husband was excommunicated, we had to reshift, you know, and so I feel like that may not necessarily have been abuse, but I feel like it was definitely a very challenging time to try to readjust to, like, what are the new roles now that, you know, now that uh, he no longer wants to participate in spirituality. And so I felt like I was always wondering what, you know, like, because he didn't want to practice. And so, you know, those are some of the things that you kind of mentioned. And so 
I do think it is kind of very confusing to know what is abuse, what is healthy, what isn't healthy. And so, I don't know, that's just kind of my experience. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. But One thing that I keep thinking about as we talk is how do we recognize it and how do we kind of sort through it? And I think one key thing is when we're spending time alone and we're processing it and we're talking to God and we're praying about it and we're coming to these answers for what feels right for us. If we get these answers and then we go to our spouse and then we try to voice them and we end up more confused and spinning and then all of a sudden going with what they feel, which contradicts what was our truth only maybe hours before, that's a huge red flag that something is happening in the dynamic that may or may not be healthy, most likely or is not going to be healthy. Because if we're getting our answer, we're getting our truth, we're anchoring to God and we're having clarity. And then we go engage in this conversation and all of a sudden we're confused and spinning, something happened. And so sorting through that and trying to figure out what happened can then leave us really confused. So I would suggest of really paying attention and getting our answers for ourselves before engaging, because that will help us be able to see what is the process that's happening between us and our partner. Really like looking at those patterns, looking at the dynamics of what happens between the two of us. Because with all of these different types of abuse that we talked about over these different weeks and we'll continue to talk about. Um, the, the content of what the discussion is may change, but oftentimes the process is similar. That there's these patterns happening and really trying to hone in and figure out what your patterns are is going to give you a lot more information than looking at the surface level content that keeps showing up. I think what you said is really powerful. Um, and I think that's a great way of expressing that and a very common phenomenon where if you have clarity before a conversation and then you enter into that conversation and you leave with a sense of confusion and disorientation and what just happened and I don't, I don't have that clarity anymore, then most likely there was some degree of there was a games being played, word games or some sort of manipulation to that. When you go into a conversation with somebody who is kind of an open book, who is willing to listen to what you have to say and is, but also is equally willing to share their perspective and their thoughts and their, um, then they're adding to, they may add different insights. They may add different perspectives, but they're not going to take away from that clarity. They may add, well, let me say that differently. Uh, they may add a, a way for you to see things differently, but they're not going to create a sense of confusion and a cloud um i think of it uh, as a cloud of that that disorientation of what i don't really know what just happened um and that that physical experience is a, a really big sign that there was that manip some sort of manipulation or something that went on in that dynamic and i think it takes time for us to um identify what like you said those patterns of interaction that go below the content. It's the pattern of, of communication. And, um, but that, that 
first initial sensation of, I feel more confused, I feel disoriented, I what just happened, I don't know, that's the sign to look in deeper, that there is something there. Want to join a free online therapist-led group with Worth? Head on over to healingwithworth.org to enroll. And I think this is also why therapy can be so beneficial is because sometimes when we go to like a really good friend, we can get so caught up in the he did this and I did this and the content of what's happening. But when we go to a therapist and they're trained to kind of look beneath all that and they they can see those patterns and they can help us sort through it a little bit better because they don't emotionally get caught up in all of this surface level things. So they really, we can show up and we can throw all of these puzzle pieces on the table and go like, I don't know what to do with this. And they have the insight that they can help us begin to start putting some of these pieces together. Yeah. I just, I, don't, I think if you, if the you're talking about something and then they start to communicate in a way that's hurtful or threatening or insulting or demeaning, I think that's, Moving into the, I think we've kind of talked about like communicating help, help, healthy communication and then maybe kind of in the middle communication. But if they ever start to threaten or like, I'm going to divorce you or, you know, these kind of things, I think that's what, in my opinion, would be moving into the abusive, spiritual, you know, I'm the priesthood leader. We need to do this. Those are the, you know, that's the kind of talk that is a real red flag in my red flag, in my opinion, for abuse, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. And you'll see in a lot of these categories, you see what I I call a a coercive control. They can use spirituality to control or to coerce. They can use um, they can use finances. They can use use sexuality. But that same type of the the means may be different, um, but that same kind of pressure. um, Or they can find ways of being demeaning and belittling. They can use spirituality to demean and belittle you you know you're not good enough you're not worthy this is sin or whatever they can use that language to kind of demean you they can use your sexuality to be demeaning and belittling of you they can use uh they can use emotions um uh, some form of, of emotional abuse um so oftentimes for people who are very abusive they find they target in on what uh, either um where your values are. Um, so if you have a really strong foundation in a, a faith um, or they, your, your weaknesses, even your strengths, they learn what they can about you and they u- use that. They kind of use that, their knowledge of you to, to um, individualize the coercion and those messages. So you'll see that theme through all of our different categories. You know, one thing I think about is just like with feelings, how nobody can tell us how we feel that is uniquely ours and that is ours to own. And nobody can come in and say, you feel this way. We have our own feelings. And I think about with our spirituality, that it's very similar to that is what we experience spiritually and how we see the world through that spiritual lens. Nobody gets to tell us for us what that looks like. 
And so if somebody is trying to tell you um, specifically of you believe this way or you think this way or you feel this way, that's an area where they don't they don't get to do that. They don't get to have that say. And um, if you find yourself in that type of um, situation or a relationship where people are telling you how you feel, I would strongly encourage you to take some time and make some boundaries around that. Where the boundaries would be is other people do not get to tell me how I feel. And if they do, I will not continue that conversation or I will no longer engage in that conversation because my feelings are mine to own. And my spirituality is mine and mine alone. It's between me and God. Yeah, I love that. I also think that uh, when you not communicating too, like sometimes I would go and say, hey, I want to discuss this topic. And then my husband would say, well, I don't want to talk about it. So I think that's kind of an unhealthy relationship. But that's a, instead of telling me what I feel, he was just not wanting to engage. And I felt like that was unhealthy and I needed to set some boundaries around that. So I feel like, you know, I've had that experience too where he wants to tell me what, you know, how to feel or he doesn't want to talk about it at all. You know, and then when we've gotten recovery, then we can talk about these issues and respect each other and listen. So. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think, uh, Sherilyn, if we can spend a minute on what you said, because I've heard a lot, I've I've heard a lot of confusion around what am I allowed to do um, as far as setting boundaries around communication? And um, sometimes women find themselves in that place that you just described. There are things that we need to discuss that are important, and I can't, there's a wall there. And at the same time, sometimes women find themselves in that place where they want to create a boundary saying, I'm not going to discuss this, these things with you right now for, for certain reasons, for my own safety, because it always becomes, I'm not ready or whatever it is. So is there appropriate, I'm going to actually ask Alana, (laughs) Um, I have my own opinions about this, but you always say it way better. So when is it appropriate to put boundaries around, um, I, I am willing to talk to you about these things, or I'm not willing to talk to you about these things for this time period. Uh, because sometimes the message women get is you're not allowed to take things off the table. You have to engage with me in a conversation with these things, uh, about these things. Um, and then when the woman is in that place that Sherilyn is, where she's like, these are things that we need to discuss. Does he have the right to say, no, I won't? to you about that and is there a way to handle that 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 is healthy what looks what how do you handle that healthily if that's a word and how do you handle that in a way that's not appropriate um there's so many layers to this this question it's it's really hard to give like a one size fits all but when we're talking about addiction and betrayal trauma so often it's a matter of emotional safety when a woman has gone through so much trauma or a man has gone through the trauma of betrayal, there has to be safety recreated in the relationship. That foundation of trust, that foundation of safety has been um, often obliterated. Did I even say that word right? Um, that foundation of trust and honesty and transparency, all of that has been shattered and so with that, as we're trying to rebuild, we do need to move forward 
cautiously and there needs to be that safety created. And a lot of times women feel like they find they lose their voice through trauma. And so there's all of these, these different levels that need to be put into place. And so we kind of tread carefully moving forward and creating that safe place for the woman. And so when, um, we look at it from the other side, like there are some men who will say like, well, you have to talk to me. You have to engage. Well, if they're engaging in a, in a way that is creating safety, then often I see that the women do want to engage and they are trying to engage when the safety is not being created. That is when we encourage you to step back far enough to where you can create that safety for yourself. Sometimes though, it will get switched the other way around where men will start to use these same verbiage for themselves. Uh, you're not creating safety for me because you're disengaging or you're not doing this for me because you're not having these conversations. But because of how the power dynamics have shifted through the betrayal, there is a season where we are giving her more of this power and this voice to create the space for her to heal. And for some men, that's very difficult because what we're asking of the men is, or the woman in betrayal, um, but we're asking the person who has been the offender, we're asking you to take a role of humility, to take a role of creating that safety, to take a role where we're stepping down from the power that you may have had previously. And it's about creating the safety for her. But that does not come easily, especially if you've lived with years of addiction and years of having um, a lot of times addiction breeds more of a selfish mentality. And so sometimes it's really difficult to step into this all new role, which feels very suddenly. Yeah, I like that a lot. There's Susan and that shift of power there. So often with addiction, all of the emphasis and the resources and the, it is, is put on or is shifted towards the man. And he has, um, the, the energy and, and the resources and the, the control, the power in the relationship. Um, and shifting that back, not exactly to center, but shifting it even beyond center to give her more of that, to give her the resources to heal, uh, to, uh, to get back to, and then, and then have that come back to kind of that middle where they share that power again. Um, and I think safety is the key. And so when a woman has a boundary around, I won't discuss these certain things. And the intent is, you know, is her safety that is absolutely appropriate um, and and allowed to do. And if, if there is, if you're receiving the message of you can't not talk to me, you have to talk to me. That's not a, that, uh, that's not appropriate. You are allowed to set those boundaries. And I think bringing it back to, yes, this is a season and there will come a day that for the relationship to heal, both people will have to come to the table and both people will have to communicate and both people will have to give. And absolutely, that is part of the healing process. But what I see a lot of times is the pressure to do that before the woman has significantly healed. And it's the pressure to come back to that, that middle ground too soon. And the consequences of that 
is if she gets pushed too soon, then she'll get triggered even more and then have to disengage sometimes even further than before. So if we can let her heal at the pace that she needs to heal, which is often much longer than she wants and much longer than he wants because healing is messy and it takes a while. But if we can give her the space and the time to heal at her pace, then by the time that she gets back to the center place where she's coming to the table, both of them tend to have more stability. Yeah, I, I, in my experiences, when we were kind of enmeshed like that, you know, with their spirituality, it took a, a separation where I had to become more individually stronger and I had to listen to my, listen and act to the things that the Lord was telling me, even despite um, whether I felt like it was going to be received well. And then as I, and he, we kind of, you know, got more, we individuated from each other spiritually. And then I feel like what you're saying is that eventually we came back together. Now, Reston isn't necessarily a member of the church, but it's no longer a power struggle between us anymore. It's like, uh, I accept the fact that he doesn't, I, I accept that he doesn't want to be a member. He accepts the fact that I want to be a member. And we now agree that we can value each other for who we are, even though we haven't come to our happy ending of, you know, resolving that uh Totally, but we've now come to a place where it's safe for us to talk about those issues. And I feel like we would head in a direction where in a different season, we would unite around that topic. So I really appreciate and agree with what you're both saying. It makes a lot of sense. And I love the two words you used is respect and safe. Those two things should be part of every relationship is respect for each other and safety in the relationship. Yeah, they go together. Yeah, um, if I could leave any one thing with women on this topic is the importance of really taking the time to figure out for yourself what you believe and where you stand and get anchored with God so that your truth, your spirituality, your connection with God remains your own. And then um, ideally... You have that partner, just like Turlin said, that respects you and creates that safety. But whether they do or whether they don't, you know what your truth is and you can hold to that and you can anchor to that no matter what other people say or um, try to convince you of or try to persuade you out of or, or push you away from. Really finding what that truth is and finding ways to continue continually anchor to God and to stay grounded within yourself. I would just add that I think when we talk about spiritual abuse, um, I love that Sherlyn brought this up with the, the, the attitude of dominance that is absolutely not doctrine. And yet it is easily twisted. And some women find themselves in a position where they've experienced that attitude in connection with people uh, in positions of power in the church, maybe their husband, maybe, maybe even growing up. And they have interpreted their, their position as second class or somehow their voice as less significant or of less value uh, than a man's voice. I'm just going to end with that. That idea is that 
Um, if that if you find yourself in that type of dynamic where that message is being reinforced to you that your voice is less significant or that you don't have a voice if you if you're feeling that lack of a voice in the realm of spirituality there's something there to explore something there to build yourself up about to empower yourself because your father wants you to be to to have that voice and to be strong and to, to and to be heard um and so that's information about what might be happening in that dynamic around the category of spirituality and if that's the case reach out for help get support get get grounded in your own in your own power you are a powerful woman uh, and with with the potential for doing mighty things for your family for yourself because of your spirituality beautifully put well thank you for listening to healing with worth today we will see you guys next time thanks for joining us this week on healing with worth make sure to visit our website healingwithworth.org to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.